Hey, this is Stephen, and I want to welcome you or welcome you back to the Grove Church Podcast. For more information or to find more resources like this one, be sure to visit us at grove.org. Thanks for listening, and I hope the following message is encouraging and meaningful to your life. Well, good morning, good morning. Welcome to the Grove if you are with us for the first time or first time back in a while. It's so good to have you here. I want you to know that you are welcome in this place, and we are excited to spend a little bit of time together. So uh, something you should know about me is that I'm, a, I'm like a late Christmas celebrator. Uh, some of you, I know you get excited about mid-October. Once you start seeing the pumpkins out, you're like, it's Christmas time, and you start getting really excited about Christmas. I'm like a December 23rd. I'm like, I think it's probably time I put the tree up. Like I, it just takes me a long time for like all of the Christmas festivities, the lights, the caroling, the music, the movies to like soak in and permeate and then like start to change how I feel inside. And so I'm very like circumstance dependent on like feeling the love of Christmas. And so I thought this year, maybe I should try something different. And so I like had this whole plan and about a week and a half ago, I was like, okay, I'm going to get in the Christmas spirit. I'm going to manufacture the Christmas spirit inside of me. And so I lit the pine cone scented candles and, and then I turned on like the Christmas playlist and, and then I bought some sugar cookies and laid them out for somebody who's not on the diet. I'm on to eat. I don't know why I did it. I just got them and I was like, okay. And then I put a little like jingle bell on my dog and that lasted about 10 minutes before she ate that. And then and I was like, okay, I'm going to get in the Christmas spirit and I start building the tree and I was like, I think, I, I think I'm here. Like it took me about an hour and a half, but it's like, I think, I think I finally created the imperfect environment that like transformed me and my feelings towards like the Christmas joy, the Christmas spirit. And I'm like, awesome. All right, now let's go to the mall and buy all the Christmas presents for all the people that I got to buy, buy Christmas presents for. And uh, I had temporarily forgotten there's this amazing thing in the world called Amazon, and you don't have to go to the mall during the Christmas season. But nevertheless, filled with Christmas cheer, I decided to go to the mall. And so as I'm driving to the mall on a Saturday afternoon, yep, you already know how the story goes, uh, I realized that I had the same great idea as everyone else in Dallas. And so apparently, uh, North Park is not the place to be at about 2 p.m. on a Saturday afternoon. And so as I'm slowly inching my way towards North Park, I'm like turning up the Christmas music, trying to keep the spirit and the cheer going, and I'm like hanging on. I'm like, come on, you can do this. And then, you know, as I circle the parking garage 75 times, having four different parking spots stolen, I'm like, uh, maybe I should go home. And it's like, no, you, you're almost here. And then, you know, the spot, you know, the light shines down from heaven and the spot opens up. And you're like, thank you, God. I have been good this year. I appreciate your favor on my life. And I pulled into the parking spot. And then I walk out and then I go into the mall. And, and it's about this time that I'm going from store to store trying to find the things that the people in my life have asked for and not having a lot of success and, you know, getting pushed by old ladies because I'm in their way and getting hit by a couple of canes and all of the things that happen. I was like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. I, 
I, I started to get like frustrated and irritated and angry. And it wasn't really directed at a particular person. It was just everyone. I was just mad at humanity. And I'm like, God, I think you made a mistake creating all these people. There's too many people in the world. There's too many people in Dallas. Like we need to do something about this. And so then I went home and I was like, never mind, forget this. I'm going to buy all the presents online, and I don't care if they show up January 10th. That's just what's going to happen. And I came home, and I, like, threw away the cookies, and I turned off the Christmas music, and I was like, I just, I'm out. I've lost the loving feeling. There's no Christmas spirit left in me. And then I sat down to write a sermon about love and Christmas, and I was like, thanks, God. This is awesome. So we'll, uh, we'll see how this one goes. And my guess is, if you're the type of person that gets really excited about Christmas early, then maybe you've had the same experience as me, and maybe if you're like me and you wait till the 23rd to get excited about Christmas, you feel this way. Currently, after a while, all of the experiences we have in our life leading up to Christmas can sometimes work against the feelings that we hope to have during Christmas. You want to have this magical, meaningful Christmas. You want to gather around the fireplace with those you love most, you know, with the hot chocolate and the marshmallows that never get soggy. And we have this version of Christmas in our mind. And then like real life happens and your kids are annoying you. And then that project that was due after Christmas gets pushed up before Christmas. And so you know you got to work late or you have that last minute business trip that you have to go on. And then all of these things start to happen in our lives that start to erode that feeling that we most long for during Christmas, that feeling of love and just everything is great in the world and we, let's just hold hands and sing. And, and I think we make a mistake about how we approach Christmas. I think I make a mistake about how I approach Christmas. And the mistake I make is this, and maybe you make the same mistake. We are dependent on external circumstances to produce an internal feeling. If all of these conditions that we line up are met, then I can guarantee the feeling that I hope to have, I want to have, that I feel like I'm supposed to have on Christmas. In the movies we watch at Christmas, they don't help either. Like, I don't know if you're the type of person that there's all these like romantic love movies at Christmas and it's always like Christmas and then an object. And it's like the Christmas candle, the Christmas mittens, the Christmas sweater, the Christmas sled. And it's like the same storyline. And it's like this person who really should be with this person isn't with this person until the very last moment of the movie when that particular Christmas object clues them in on the fact that they're supposed to love this person. And you're, you're like, oh, come on. Like, I'd barf. But we watch all this and we we start to believe these lies that these external circumstances are what's responsible for how we feel. And what's interesting to me is the way that we approach Christmas is actually, in a lot of ways, the way that we approach everything in life. We act based on feeling, and those feelings are based on our circumstances. And so we're actually acting in response to the circumstances in our life, but we don't make that connection. So if work's gone poorly or you got in a fight with your loved one or your significant other, it changes how you feel and then how you feel impacts the way that you act. 
And so all of these hopes and plans that we have to act a certain way, to treat people accordingly, to do all of these good things that we want to, we end up missing sight of all of that and losing kind of the lead on all of that because, well, this thing happened and then this thing happened and then my dog, you know, it's like a bad country song, you know, you just lose everything in your life and that's why I feel the way I feel. It's, it's the world's fault. It's all of the circumstances in our lives' fault. And so if that's true, then we're kind of hopeless and we're powerless in our own ability to kind of celebrate Christmas, to feel the love that we're supposed to feel at Christmas time. And in fact, it's not all that different than the conversation that I often end up having with newly engaged couples who ask me to officiate their wedding. This is always fun. I get them together and I'm like, hey, tell me a little bit about yourselves. What do you love about each other? And most of the time, these conversations give me great hope and encouragement for this couple and their life together. But sometimes I see these red flags going up and I've got a couple of couples who I'm currently officiating or will be officiating their, their marriage this morning here, so they're real nervous. And they're like, oh God, is he talking about me? No, I'm not, maybe. Um, but then I say, I, one of the questions I love to ask them is, what, what do you love about the other? Or why do you love the other person? And the ones that make me nervous is when the guy leans back in his chair and he's like, I mean, look at her. And, I'm, and to me, I'm like, oh no, you put, run, get out. And it's not that I don't want them to be attracted to each other physically, but what you realize is the reason that they're going through with this action of marriage is based on the feeling of love. Or when they'll say, God, I just love the way I feel when I'm around them. Mm. And I'm like, you do know eventually the dopamine and the serotonin <laughs> that's popping off in your brain goes away, right? And so inevitably what ends up happening at pretty much every wedding I officiate is I pull out the famous passage from Corinthians 13, the one that you've heard read a thousand times, and I help couples and mostly, I mean, it's too late for the couple standing in front of me because they're getting married anyway, but it's for everybody else who's listening during the wedding to remind them that the way that we approach our lives, the way that we approach marriage, the way that we even approach Christmas, it shouldn't be based on feeling. It should be based on something so much larger, so much more significant. And so then I walk them through 1 Corinthians 13, and it says love is patient, love is kind, it is not envious, or boastful, or arrogant, or rude. Love doesn't keep score, it doesn't delight in wrongdoing, it rejoices in truth, it bears all things, believes all things, endures all things, hopes all things. Love never fails. And then what I remind the couples and everyone listening, just like I'll remind us today, is that love is not a feeling, it's not an emotion. It's a practice, it's a habit, it's a lifestyle, it's a series of choices. The reason that love can't be a feeling, it can't only be a feeling, is because that feeling is always determined by our external circumstances. Which is why it breaks my heart when some of these same couples who I married a couple of years before show up in my office and they say, it's not working. And typically it's just one of them. They rarely come together. And often is the case when I'm having these conversations, I say, well, tell me what's going on. 
And inevitably, they always end up saying the same thing. They say, I married the wrong person. It's the wrong set of circumstances. See, if I had married the right person, then the feeling that I have would never go away. But instead, they assume that their circumstances don't play a factor in their feelings. Their feelings are the thing that they follow. Their feelings are the things that are most important. And they miss the part that is so clear in that passage in Corinthians. If you wait for love to feel love, then you'll miss out on the opportunity to participate in love, to create love. And I think that's one of the things that I hope we remember at Christmas time is we chase after so many perfect circumstances, the right gift, the perfect sweater, you know, beautiful lit houses and Christmas trees and all of the food and all of the things that we do at Christmas. Because we believe that those external circumstances will produce the feeling that we long for. And it's not true. It's not true. And if it is, it's only temporary. Because for some of us, we know that right now, the Christmas that we're about to celebrate doesn't feel that celebratory because of the circumstances in our lives. The sicknesses, the medical bills, the divorce that's looming, all of these factors that are hanging over our heads during this Christmas season. If, if Christmas was based on feeling, then these circumstances are a problem and some of these problems we can't change. And so what are we supposed to do during this Christmas time? How do we navigate around the circumstances that we find ourselves in? How do we find something more than just a feeling-based, circumstantial Christmas spirit? Well, fortunately for us, the Christmas songs that tell the story of Christmas point us to this truth and this reality, and they give us a clue as to what's supposed to happen. One of my favorites is Holy Night, Oh Holy Night. Now, I love that song, and I'd have us sing it, but it's one of the most difficult Christmas songs to sing, and so I saved us the, the difficulty of singing it. But I want to walk us through just parts of this song. And what I want you to pay attention to is that if this whole Christmas story was dependent on the perfect set of circumstances, it never would have happened. If God stepping into the world in the form of a baby to demonstrate his love for us, was reliant on everything being perfect. For humanity to be perfect, for the way that we treat each other to be perfect, for us to be following all of the rules and doing all of the things that we're supposed to be doing, if that were the necessary conditions for God to enter the world, I'm not sure God would have ever entered the world. But the reality is that's the exact opposite of what happened. And that's the story that O Holy Night describes. So, O Holy Night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. It was into the circumstances of a world filled with sin a world filled with people erring again and again and again, precisely the worst set of circumstances that God steps into the world. And then there's this thrill of hope because of this act. And a weary world, a world that has 
been tired, hoping, waiting, wondering if there is a God in the world. And if that God exists, does this God care about me? Does this God care about us? And will this God be active in my life? Just like the, our kids do, they get tired of waiting for Christmas. They get weary, wondering, when is it going to be here? Is it here yet? When is Santa coming? This is the same condition that the world was in when God shows up. Waiting, hoping, making mistakes, getting it wrong, sickness, divorce, pain, suffering, longing. These are not the perfect Christmas conditions, but yet they're precisely the conditions in which God shows up. For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. And then the song pivots. And the song begins to describe not just the conditions in which God entered the world, but the reason that God came into the world. And it says, truly, he taught us to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. You see, at this precise moment in history, when Jesus enters the scene, the people who weren't actually preparing or planning on Jesus showing up were the ones who thought that they had all of the perfect circumstances. They had all of the necessary conditions for a life filled with love. They had all of the rules. They knew what to do. They were following the rules. They were in. All of the other people were out. And then Jesus shows up to remind them that it's not about a feeling that's dependent on a perfect set of circumstances. It's so much bigger than that. It's about creating love, participating in love. It's about the work that you do and the activity that you engage in. It's not about waiting for everything to line up and be perfect. He taught us to love one another. Well, what, what is this? What does this look like? How does Jesus teach us to love one another? What does it mean that his law is love and his gospel is peace? The belief at the time was if you followed all the rules, then the byproduct would be love. You'd be loved by God. You'd be favored by God. But what ended up happening is that by following all the rules, they forgot to love each other. And they used the rules to hurt and to separate and to set aside. So Jesus comes in to clarify. He says, no, 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 you've got it all wrong. And he teaches us a better way. And I love the way that the writer of 1 John describes this process in which God teaches us his love. He says it like this. He says, this is how the love of God is made known to us. This is how God teaches us. His love. God sent his only son into the world so that we can live through him. It's in the act of Christmas that we see the model for how we're supposed to participate and recreate God's love in our life, God's love in the world around us. But if it's not totally obvious, let me explain a little bit more. I think there are three parts to how God makes his love known and how we can also make that same love known during this Christmas season and more importantly in our lives. How love is made known. God sent his only son 
That's step one. Into the world. Step two. So that we can live through him. Now, some of you are like, that didn't help at all. It's not any clearer than the first time you read this. You just added spaces into the scripture. So let me do a little translation. God sent his son. Love goes first. God did not wait for all of us to get our act together before God showed up. There were not necessary conditions that had to be met before God entered the scene. The same is true for love. You don't have to wait till they ask for forgiveness. You don't have to wait till they apologize. You don't have to wait until everything feels better. It can even be in the midst of hard words or angry feelings. But love goes first. It makes the first move. It takes the first step. It risks. It exposes itself. It's willing to be vulnerable. God sent his son. God sent his son knowing what we would do to his son. It was filled with risk. But love goes first. Second thing is God sent his son into the world. God just didn't stay abstract, vague, floating around. We don't really know where he is. No, God made it personal because that's what love does. Love gets really personal. And so God takes on flesh and enters the world as a baby to walk among us, to eat and to live and to talk among us, to develop relationships with us so that we could recognize that love at its very core is relational. There's no way that you can love someone at a distance without it impacting the relationship. Love, its very nature, gets personal. And then the last, God sent his son into the world so that we could live through him. Love gives life. Love inspires, reminds, pulls out of the darkness into the light, gives hope, encouragement to remember that there is more than what our present circumstances tell us. To give us encouragement that just because life is hard, to just because we're struggling and we can't find our way out in this present moment, love extends a hand. It gets dirty and it pulls us to a different place. That's what Jesus does with his life. That is the joy that we celebrate. That is the story we celebrate at Christmas, that God stepped into the world to develop a personal relationship with us. God went first. God got personal. And because of that, we have life in a new way. There is hope beyond our circumstances. There is hope beyond our participation. There is hope beyond our obedience. There is a life that we find in the love of God. And it's through this process that God's love is made known to us. I saw a great example on social media the other day of these three steps in action of love going first, of getting personal and giving life. And so I want you to take a look.
Hi. Hi, Dad. What's going on? <laughs> Hello? Hey, Jill. It's Sierra. Okay, so I was just walking around Westwood and I stopped by a sign that said to call someone you've lost touch with and tell them what they mean to you. I'm Professor Frazier. I just wanted to thank you for being such a great mentor, really helping me get on the right path to med school and everything. Yeah, give me a call sometime. Bye. Aubrey? Yeah? Hey, it's me, Jen. Jennifer from last year. Oh, cool! Hey, <laughs> how are you? Got a new phone number? No. <laughs> I was just calling to say hi, and um, you know, <laughs> um, I love you. And I, I miss you. <laughs> hey Paula, this is Scott, how are you? And I just want to tell you that I love you. Um, and I want to be able to talk to you more often than every three or four years, okay? Love you. I want to tell you that, like, thanks for putting me through all that to help me become a better artist. Um, it was really neat being able to see your growth. Thank you for your dedication and commitment. <laughs> it was no problem, and, and thanks for being like our mom, you know? <laughs> You're my dad, and I want to be around you and I want to have experiences with you. <laughs> I want that as well, honey. Okay, great. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Ever since grade eight, we've just always stayed great friends, even though our paths have diverged so much. So thank you for always being there for me and you're one of the um, people that I love the most from back home and you make home such a special place for me. Oh, I love you so much. <laughs> You and I, I guess, we were never really super close growing up. Even though I do see you a good amount, I do feel like, you know, we should talk more. Okay, yeah, we should. Okay, great. Well, then I guess I'll see you in a couple weeks for the holidays. So we definitely need to have kind of like an all-hands family meeting to just get everything out, get everything out, and then we can move forward as a, as a family. That's the only way. I'm all in. <laughs> It was awesome to hear you. And I'll try to keep in touch some more, all right? Love you. <laughs> Love you lots. Love you lots, too. Bye. lot of ruined mascara this morning. The power of that video is the simple truth this morning. Love is not the result of the perfect set of circumstances that we have to get just right for everybody to do their part and to not make any mistakes and for everybody to be on their best behavior. That's not how we discover love. That's not how love is made known. Love is made known by falling in the pattern of God through Christ to go first, to get personal, and to give life. And so with the 10 days that we have before Christmas comes, I hope that you'll think about, pray about, talk with God about what it would look like for you to participate in this same love in your life 
to create this love, to make it known to others. For you, maybe it's a phone call. Maybe it's a visit. Maybe it's a letter. Maybe it's something more. If you don't have an idea of how you would do this, we have a way for you. On your way out, we're going to hand you one of these bags. And it's a blessing bag. Maybe you're like me. When you drive around Dallas, you see these people standing at the intersections and you want to know what you should do. And you're like, well, do I give them money? And if I give them money, what are they going to do with it? And how much should I give? And, and then maybe you're like, well, maybe I should just say hi. But then that, that feels weird to just say hi and then drive off. And I just I, I feel, I feel insufficient. But I want them to know that I love them and I want them to know that God loves them. And I just I don't know what to do. So we've made these blessing bags. If you were here at our Christmas kickoff, you created these. They're filled with items for people to use who are in need. There's some toothpaste and some chapstick and a toothbrush and hats and gloves, a little bit of snacks, and then there's a homemade Christmas card that many of you and many of our children created. So what this will require you to do is to go first. You've got to push the button on the window. You've got to interact with another human. You've got to look them in the eye. Your hands might actually touch as you exchange this, but you have to get personal. And what this will do, like love does, is it'll give life. It's just one small act, one small step. But could you imagine the impact that we could just have on our neighborhood and our community if just everyone who was here this morning participated in giving one of these out or participated in making love known in some simple way? It wouldn't matter how crowded it was at North Park. It wouldn't matter if the right Christmas songs came on or whether or not you found the Christmas candle or sweater or whatever it is. None of that would matter because we could participate in the love that God has already shown us and we could show it to other people. And I think that would be the greatest Christmas gift we could experience. So as you leave, I hope you'll pick one of these up. I hope that you'll think about ways that in addition to this, you can participate and make love known in your life and in the lives of others around you. And I know that ultimately we'll be blessed because of it. Because as we participate in love and as we give love, we get it back in return. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, for you so loved us that you sent your son into this world so that we could have life in him. God, help us follow that pattern. Help us to share a love that goes first, to share a love that gets personal and a love that gives life to others. For it's in your love that we find our life. And we are so grateful. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you live in the Dallas area, we would love for you to visit us. For directions, service times, and more info, visit us at grove.org.